All right, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to cover tonight, so um, so let's jump in. Um, I will just let you know a lot of a lot of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, I use this book to to kind of study a lot this week called Hell Under Fire, and so a lot of the uh, framework or whatever uh, comes from that book. But who remembers? Uh, or does anyone remember the four parameters? We talked about last week um, as far as what the Bible says about hell. Remember the four things that that we that we said are true. Anybody? Nobody. Anybody remember one of them? One of the four. Hell is eternal, right? Hell is conscious. The people that are there are conscious and experiencing it. Hell is uh, a consequence, a result of. Um, actions in this life, right? And then uh, those, uh, those consequences are executed by God. God is the one that executes the consequences for those sins on people that are in hell, okay? Um, tonight we want to look at, kind of build on that and look at three uh, concepts or descriptions or pictures um, of hell that we find in the Bible, okay? And so the first one is hell is often uh, described as punishment, okay? The second one, uh, hell is often described as uh, destruction. And then thirdly, hell is often described as uh, separation or banishment, okay? Uh, and, and the Bible says all three and, and uses all three of those pictures, and so we don't want to get them out of balance and, and say, well, the Bible says that it talks about hell in terms of destruction, so that must mean that hell's not eternal, that people that go to hell are eventually destroyed and, and it's not eternal, right? No, the Bible also says that it's banishment. The Bible also says that it is uh, punishment. The Bible de uh, depicts hell as being eternal and conscious and all those things we've already talked about. So we wanna, uh, wanna keep these things in balance and keep them all uh, together, okay? But first of all, let's look at a few passages uh, that, that refer to hell as punishment. Look at Matthew chapter 25, okay? This concept or this picture of hell of the New Testament, description of hell as punishment, uh, is, in, is used by every author of the New Testament, right? So not necessarily every book, because Paul wrote a lot of books. Uh, John wrote uh, three or four books, four books. Uh, Peter wrote two books. Um, so not necessarily in every book in the New Testament, but it's used by every author in the New Testament. So Paul used this picture in some of his letters, and John used it in some of his, and Peter in some of his, and all of the gospel writers. Uh, this idea of, of punishment. So Matthew chapter 25. I should have been turning while I was talking, I guess. Matthew 25. Okay, so this is, this is Jesus. And look toward the end of the chapter, verse 31. That's the, we're not going to read all of that. Let's skip down to verse 41. This is the, the call to worship that we used last week and this week both. So in, in verse 41, he says, then he will also say to those on his left, remember in this passage, God's going to separate or Jesus is going to separate the sheep and the goats, right? On his right, on his left. The ones on his left, he's going to say, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you did not. Uh, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. 
And then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And then verse 46, he says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so here hell is, is punishment. It's also eternal punishment, right? But it's punishment. It's a, it's a result of or consequence from uh, certain actions that were taken, or in this case were not taken, on earth, right? Because they didn't do these things, because they didn't treat people the way that God had required people, required us. The consequence of that, the result of that is, is punishment, okay? Another passage uh, is from Paul. This is in 2 Thessalonians. Um, In chapter 1, starting in verse 5, Paul writes this. He says, This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that we will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. So Paul's writing here to a persecuted church, and he's offering them comfort by saying, Don't think this is going to last forever, and don't think that righteousness will never be done. Don't think that justice will never be done. Yes, it's bad for you right now. You're being uh, persecuted right now. You're being afflicted right now. But eventually, those who are afflicting you, justice will be done, and they'll get their, their punishment, right? He says, after all, verse 6, for after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for their testimony to you was believed. Okay, so here clearly the ones that are afflicted are gonna be afflicted. Um, he's going to give retribution in verse 8, dealing out retribution. Um, and in verse 9, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. So clearly hell here is a, is a punishment. He will punish them. They will be punished. Okay? And then another passage we could look at a lot. We'll look at one more. is in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, we'll start. It says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, the de and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? 
All right, the second, uh, second picture, second concept, second description uh, that the Bible for those who are in hell or for hell itself, and this, uh, the idea of destruction. Okay, so punishment, but then also destruction. And this concept is also used by, uh, by most of the New Testament writers, maybe not used by Mark. There's one passage where Mark talks about uh, the devils being, being thrown into hell. Um, and, and that possibly he could be talking about destruction there. It's kind of the, the words he uses not clear, but, but every other New Testament author other than Mark for sure uses this concept of, of hell as destruction. Okay. There's a couple of passages that we don't have to read. I don't think, uh, that you'll be familiar enough with. Does anybody know John three sixteen? Can somebody quote John three sixteen? Right, they should not do what? Should not perish, but have eternal life, right? God gave, sent Jesus to earth so that those who believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Um, and so one concept of hell is perishing, destruction, right? Uh, those are the two options, either perishing or having eternal life, okay? Um, and, and, and by the way, that, this is kind of an aside, but there's a, there's a parallel there, right? It says uh, punish, uh, perishing or eternal life. And so if, if there's people who want to say that hell is not eternal, but the, that same word eternal is used to describe life. And, and there seems to be a parallel there. Whatever eternal life means, that kind of has to be the same thing that eternal death means or perishing means. If, it, if, if, if hell is not eternal, then how can heaven be eternal? Or how can, how can the, the, uh, the new heavens, new earth, how can life be eternal? If, uh, if that word doesn't mean forever when we're talking about hell, then it, it, it must mean the same thing when we're talking about heaven. Okay? So, th so that's one passage. You shall not perish. Jesus came so that we would not perish but have eternal life. Um, does, can somebody quote Romans 6.23? Maybe if you can't quote it, can you just answer this question? What is the wages of sin? Death, right? The way, for the wages of sin is death. Um, and so again, this picture of destruction. Remember way back in Genesis chapter 3, whenever God's telling them about the, uh, whenever Adam and Eve are there and they, uh, they eat from the tree, even in chapter 2, when, when God's telling them about the tree, he warns them, if you eat from it, you shall surely die, right? The result of disobedience is death. Um, and, and here in Romans 6, Paul says the same thing. The wages of sin is death, okay? Um, there's two other passages that I want us to look at, or, or three. Uh, one's in Matthew chapter 7. You can listen or turn there either one, Matthew chapter 7. This will be another passage that y'all are, are pretty familiar with, I would think, once you hear it. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to what? Destruction, right? And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so again, this broad gate, wide path, easy path that leads to destruction. And so we can think of hell as, as consequences or punishment for, uh, for actions taken in this life. But we also see the results of actions taken in this life, and it's often described as death, destruction, perishing, those kind of words, right? Two other places, uh, back to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse, just one verse, verse 14. Verse 14. 
says, then the dead in Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Okay? And so hell is also described as the second death, which has destruction type overtones or, or death, right? And then look at verse 20, chapter 21, verse 8. Revelation 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake, uh, fire, and brimstone, which is the second death. And so again, uh, the consequences of actions in this life is described as death. Okay, so in, in, in some places, in some ways, hell is described as, as punishment. Uh, and then in other places, in other ways, hell is described as uh, as destruction, okay? Now, a third, uh, a third picture, description of hell in the, in the New Testament, in the Bible, is separation from God, okay? And, and we talk about this a lot. We, we kind of talk about hell as, as being separation from God, and that's true. Uh, but maybe another way, maybe a better way to think of it is not just separation from God, but banishment from God, banishment from God's presence. Because separation is, is kind of a neutral kind of idea, right? Where you can be separated from someone or separated from something uh, because of a bad reason that person has chosen for you to be separated from them um, or because you've done something to separate yourself or there just could be some reason that you're separated, right? If, I'm, if we're walking in the woods and you come across a creek and you're on one side of the creek and there's an apple tree or something on the other side of the, of the creek that you want to get to, you're separated from that tree. You can't get to it because that creek is separating you from it. But that's not necessarily a negative thing. It's just that's the way it is, right? But with banishment, there's the idea of not only are you separated from someone else, not only are you separated from God, separated from the kingdom here, but that's been done on purpose. And it's been done in response to and consequence of something that, that you've done. And someone has, has, has made that the case. Some, not just you're separated from the kingdom, but you've been banished from the kingdom. You've been removed from the kingdom, right? So that may be a better way to think of it, but let's, let's look at a couple of passages. This, this idea, again, is used by almost all the New Testament authors. Um, James and Hebrews seem to be the only two that don't use this heaven, this concept of separation or, or banishment. So let, let's start again in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Verse 23 says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so here, not only is there a separation, but Jesus is the one doing the separation, right? Jesus is saying, depart from me. Uh, Jesus is saying, go away from me, right? Jesus is the one that's, that's removing that relationship. Okay? Another place is in, is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We read this passage already, but I want to read it again, and I want us to see something in this passage beyond just this concept of, of banishment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 5, says, This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is not, it is not only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, 
when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal when he comes away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Notice he says in the middle of verse 9, away from the presence of the Lord, right? Away from the presence of the Lord. So this, this, this separation or this, or this banishment, right? But I also want to point out something else in this passage. Look back to verse, um, back to verse 6. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Okay, what is, what is that? Which of those three concepts is that? He's going to repay them with affliction because they afflict, they afflict to the church. Punishment, right? He's going to punish them. Uh, and then again in verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, that's punishment again, right? What about verse 9, though? Uh, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Which one of those three concepts is that? Destruction, right? It says, it says the word, destruction. And then he says, uh, right after that, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So in, in this passage, in this letter to the, to, to the Thessalonians, Paul uses all three of these concepts in the same, in the same passage, right? The same, in the same verses. He talks about, he talks about punishment, uh, twice, he talks about destruction, and he talks about separation or, or banishment, okay? Um, two other places. Uh, the next one's in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, this is the passage where Jesus talks about being the, being the vine and us being the branches that are connected to him, believers being the branches that are connected to him. And he, starting in the, in the first verse of chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So we already see separation banishment here, right? He's taking away these branches that don't bear fruit. Let's keep reading though, verse three. Uh, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, for me you can do nothing. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burnt. Okay. Again, you, you have all three concepts there. Maybe it's not as clear as in, in that Thessalonians passage, but you have all three concepts there, right? Because the reason these branches are being removed is because they're not obeying, so that's punishment, right? Um, they're being removed, that's banishment, and they're being thrown into the fire, that's destruction. You have all three of those in this passage. Uh, but I wanted to point out the banishment, that he's going to uh, remove those branches that do, not, um, that do not bear fruit, do not obey. And, and remember, this whole, this whole uh, parable or, or passage that Jesus is talking about here, he's, he's talking about fellowship and relationship. He's saying, if you remain in me, if you abide in me, then you'll bear much fruit. And I'm the, I'm the, I'm the vine, and you're the branches, and you get your life from me. And, uh, and there, there's this relationship, this fellowship between believers and, and Jesus. And, and yet there's, for those who don't obey, for those who don't abide in him, there's 
the removal of this relationship with this fellowship. Okay? And then finally, we want to look at Luke chapter 16. Okay? Luke chapter 16, you may be familiar with this passage. Some people brought this up last week and was asking, uh, were asking about this passage. This is the passage of, about Lazarus, okay? The rich man and Lazarus. So in verse 19, again, this is Jesus uh, speaking, preaching here. He says, now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away, but the angels uh, was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from, here, from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will surely repent. But Abraham said to him, if, you, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Okay, so there's a lot for us to talk about here. First thing, this, just along these lines of, of separation and banishment, you notice that there's, it says there's a great chasm. And so, so if you weren't following the story, what happens, there's a rich man, there's a Lazarus, there's a poor man. The rich man treated Lazarus badly in life. When they die, uh, the rich man is being punished and, and Lazarus is... Uh, is with Abraham, okay, and being treated well. And the rich man says, it's hot, I need some water, please bring me a drink of water. And Abraham says, we, there's this chasm, we can't cross this chasm. I can't bring you any water, right, because there's this, this separation, between, okay, who you are and where you are. Um, and then he goes on to talk about his brothers, right? Okay, so, so we have these three, three ideas, punishment, destruction, and then separation or, or banishment. Now, one question that came up last week was about this idea of separation, because that's such a common, uh, common picture for us in the way we talk about hell as being separated from God. But last week we read some passages from Revelation that talks about those who are being punished, uh, those who are in hell, that the smoke of, of the fire rises, um, and, and even, even believers are able to see it. Um, it says that, that they're being punished in the presence of the Lamb in Revelation. And so one of the questions that came up last week um, is how, how is it that, we, that hell can be separation from God? How is it that hell can be banishment from God? And yet at the same time, they're said, they're, they're said to be punished in the presence of the Lamb. How can they be separated from God, but also in the presence of God at, at the same time? Okay. And so one of, those, one of the answers uh, Pastor Josh gave uh, that, that's really good, and we want to always be thinking this way and pointing this, this out as we come to things like this in the Bible. 
even if we can't figure out how is it that someone can be separated from God or banished from God and in the presence of the Lamb at the same time, we know the Bible says both of those things. And so we have to say, you know what? I don't understand how both of those things can be true necessarily, but the Bible says both of those things. And so I believe both of those things are true. Um, and, and hopefully I'll understand it better later at some point, right? Or after we, after we get to heaven. So that, that's, the, that's one thought we should be having. But another thought we should be having is if there's a way to understand it, then we should be trying to understand it, right? God revealed his word to us and we should try to understand his word as best we can. And so we should be trying to think well and, and ask good questions of each other and try to help each other think through these things and understand these things. And so how is it that someone can be separated or banished from, from God, but also be in the presence of the lamb at the same time? Okay. So I just, I want to offer a couple, couple thoughts about that. And, and then we'll move on to a, to a few other things before we finish tonight. First of all, this, this passage with Lazarus, there's this clear separation between, there's this chasm between the rich man and the poor man, right? And, and Abraham. And so people have taken this passage and they say, well, it says that Lazarus went to be in Abraham's bosom. Okay. So there must be a place called Abraham's bosom. And when people died in the Old Testament, they went released from Abraham. And then, uh, and then, and then later on, when Jesus died, uh, they were released from Abraham's bosom and were able to go to heaven at that point or, or, or something like that, right? There's some different thoughts about that. But the basic thought is that Abraham's bosom is a place, okay? So, so a couple thoughts about that. Um, as far as I'm aware, this is the only place in, in, the, in the Bible where we hear about Abraham's bosom. Okay, I could be wrong about that, but I can't think of another place in the Bible. I'm not aware of another place in the Bible where Abraham's bosom is mentioned as, as a place. Okay? So it, it may be a place, but it also may not be a place. When it says he was in Abraham's bosom, that may just be saying he was with Abraham. He was next to Abraham. Think about in, in the New Testament during the, the Passion narrative when Jesus is, is getting ready to be crucified and he's there with the disciples and, he, and they're, they're taking the Last Supper, I believe it is, and they're talking about who's going to betray you. And it says that John is there uh, at Jesus' bosom. And that's how they would sit around the table to eat in those days. Their, their tables weren't like the tables we have today. And so when it says he was in Abraham's bosom, it may just mean that he was there next to Abraham, close to Abraham. May not, may not be a place somewhere kind of between hell and heaven or a waiting, waiting area or something like that, okay? That's one thing. Another thing is we, we maybe shouldn't, shouldn't put too much weight in, on the details of, um, of this story because this story may be historical, right? There, might, there obviously was a real man named Abraham, right? There might have been a real rich man. There might have been a real poor man named Lazarus. We know of another Lazarus in the Bible. Um, so, the, so, so Jesus may be telling a, a true story here of something that really happened about real, about real people, right? Or uh, Jesus may be uh, kind of making up an illustration to prove a point. And, and he does that sometimes. He talks, about, uh, he talks about different things in the New Testament, tells different, uh, different analogies, different uh, illustrations in the New Testament um, that aren't necessarily these are historical events that are happening. I'm telling you this story to prove a point. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so that, that may be this. It may, it may be that, that Lazarus was not a real person. Uh, the rich man is not a real person. It's a real person. But Jesus is telling this story to prove a larger point in, in this passage. Okay? Um, but, but, they may, but Lazarus might be a real person. And the rich man might be a real person. And, and we know that Abraham was a real person. Uh, the point is, we don't, we don't know exactly if, the, if, if these characters, this story is based on a real event or based on a story that Jesus is, is telling uh, to prove a point. Uh, 
And we do that today when we, when we preach and teach. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll make up analogies or, or stories to, to prove points today. So, so that. Um, and, and then another, another point about this is, how can we be separated from God, banished from God, and yet also uh, be punished in the presence of the Lamb? So there, there's, a, there's another way of thinking about separation or, or banishment, okay? And so one is like a physical separation, like in this story with, with Lazarus and, and the rich man, where they were physically separated. There was a deep chasm and they couldn't cross it, right? Um, but there's also like an, an emotional um, separation and a, and a relationship-wise separation, banishment, right? Um, we, hopefully this is not the case for anybody in, in, in here, but we, we know of people that are in marriages where there's a separation between the husband and wife. And they're living in the same house every day and they're with each other every single day, but there's a, there's a real separation, there's a real disconnect between, between them. Where there's not, a, there's not a true fellowship, there's not a true relationship uh, between them. And they feel that separation, right? And that happens in other relationships too, not just marriage, but marriage is a, is a good example of that because of the closeness of that relationship to begin with. And so there can be people who live in, in that close of relationship with one another, but there's a deep separation, deep divide between them um, emotionally, fellowship-wise, relationally, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's odd, at least to me, I think, it, it's weird or odd the things that, that you remember, or at least the things that I remember. Um, for some reason, when I was thinking about this, um, a memory from my childhood came up in my mind, and it's an odd one, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember they're, they're my siblings and me. My family had, had some close family friends, and they had some kids that were younger than my my siblings and me, and my mom used to babysit one of their daughters sometimes, both, actually both their kids sometimes, and then my sister started babysitting her. But I remember a day after school, I guess it was after school, it was in the afternoon, and this girl was at our house, so my brother and my sister and I were there, and, and this girl was there, and my mom was there, and, uh, and I wanted a piece of chewing gum, okay? So my mom had some chewing gum up in the cabinet, and so I was when, and one thing is that when I was little, I used to chew like five or six pieces of like that big double bubble chewing gum all at the same time. My mom would always get upset about that. So I was up in the cabinet trying to get some gum out and my mom walked in the kitchen and caught me, right? And she said, no, wait, we're not gonna do that right now. After Katie leaves, then we'll, then we'll maybe get some of that out, okay? And so I was mad about that. And so real loud, I just yelled, oh, so you don't want us to have it just because Katie's here, but once Katie leaves, then we can have the gum? And I said like real loud, so Katie would hear, right? To try to pressure my mom to let me have the gum. That's really bad, I know. I don't, remember, I don't know why I, that memory sticks out so, so well in my mind. But my mom's answer was, no, that's not what we're gonna do. What we're gonna do is everyone else is gonna get gum, but you're not gonna get any, right? And so my siblings got gum, and this girl my, my mom was babysitting got gum. My mom probably got some gum, I don't know, but, but I, I didn't, right? And so I was in the same house, I was in the same, it was in the same setting, but part of my, part of my punishment for doing that was a, a, a real separation and a real banishment from that community group, if you wanna think about it that way, right? Um, and, and so maybe we think about separation, think about banishment, uh, in the Bible like that, that it's, there, there is a sense where there's a physical banishment, right? But we're going we're gonna to talk here in a minute about the kingdom and how people are banished from the kingdom. They're not, they're not part of the kingdom. There, there is some of that, um, but there's also a, a, a separation on a, on a deeper level, right? 
And this is kind of what sin did. Even, even if you think back to the garden, uh, to Genesis 3, whenever Adam and Eve ate from the tree, disobeyed the, at the beginning, the first thing that happened was God came in the garden and they, they hid themselves from him because they were afraid because they were naked. Before, that was the first time ever there was any kind of disruption between that relationship between them and God. Up until that point, God was, was in the garden. He was coming and going. They had this distance between them and God. A close fellowship with God. But now because of sin, there's this separation between them and God. Okay? All right, so we're going to have time for questions here in a second. But I want to look at just one other thing. So punishment, destruction, and then separation or banishment. These three kind of pictures in, in the Bible. Now there's other pictures, right? Like fire and the worm. We read some of those last week. The 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 never-ending fire, the, 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 uh, the worm that, that doesn't stop. Um, and, and, and those are some other pictures, but, but they're part of these other pictures, right? Part of what punishment is, is it's this eternal fire. That's, that is the punishment, um, or that's what causes the destruction, right? And so those kind of fit in with these other three. So, so these three main things, punishment, destruction, separation, and banishment. And, then, and so then quickly, I want to look at, at, at five real, real quick things, Okay of how, how this idea of hell also kind of fits with other parts of the Bible or other doctrines in the Bible, okay? And so I'm gonna read this quote. This is from a guy named Christopher Morgan, and this is what he says. He says, the crucial point is that the different images each refer to a single reality and that combining different images is not like putting together the pieces of a, of a jigsaw puzzle. So it's not like banishment and, and punishment and destruction are these individual pieces and they all fit together some way. It's not, it's not like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, but rather it's like letting the sunlight reflect through a diamond and seeing each ray's colors as pointing towards a single uh, eschatological truth or, or final, final end times truth, right? So, so this is, it's not that hell is banishment and hell is punishment and hell is destruction. It's that when you look at hell from different angles, these, these different descriptions or pictures kind of pop out, okay? How, how this. So I want to I just really quickly go through a, a couple of other uh, biblical doctrines now and see how, how this kind of relates to those. So let's think about what the Bible says about God and about who God is and how, how, how these three pictures of hell kind of, kind of play into that. So, so punishment, hell is punishment, highlights that God is the judge who justly sentences the guilty. Hell as destruction highlights that God is a warrior and victor who defeats his enemies. Hell as banishment or separation highlights that God is the king who allows only his subjects into his kingdom. Only his citizens into his kingdom. What about how the Bible talks about sin? Punishment, hell as punishment, shows that sin is, is guilt and crime and trespass against God. Hell as destruction shows that sin is, is destructive and leads to death, kind of what we already talked about with the garden. And then hell as banishment shows that sin is alienation from God or separation from God. We think about how the Bible talks about the atonement, how Jesus' Jesus's death saves us, saves us from our sins. That hell as punishment highlights that Jesus died as our substitute and took God's wrath for our sins. That hell as destruction highlights that Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, dying in our place. That hell as banishment points out or highlights that Jesus was banished from fellowship with the Father when he's on the cross, when he cried out, why have you forsaken me? If we think about how the Bible talks about salvation, hell as punishment highlights that hell is for those who have not repented and trusted in Jesus through faith. Hell as destruction 
or, or the, yeah, the picture of destruction shows that hell is for those who have not received new birth or new life in Christ in the first place. And hell is banishment highlights that hell is for those who have never been reconciled to God in the first place. And then finally, what, is, what are these, these descriptions of hell? How do they relate to the kingdom of God? Well, hell, as looking at hell as punishment, highlights that Jesus will execute justice against those who have opposed his kingdom and its laws. Hell, as destruction, highlights that Jesus will make war against his enemies. And hell, as banishment, highlights that Jesus will exclude those who have rebelled against him and refused to pay homage to him from his kingdom. In that, uh, Josh Green read Psalm 2 from, in the service this morning, and it, toward the end of Psalm 2, it says, to pay homage to the Son, lest you be angry and you perish in the way. Nope. All right, so hell is eternal, hell is conscious, hell is a consequence, punishment for sin, and God is the one that executes that punishment or, or that, that, um, that consequence. And then we can, we can think about hell in three different ways. The Bible presents hell in three different ways, as punishment, as destruction, and then as separation from God or banishment from God and from his kingdom. All right. All right, we have just a few minutes. Any, uh, any questions? Remember, we'll have a whole, whole week for questions coming up here at the end of the month. But any questions you all have specifically about what we talked about tonight? See, Edgar. Yep. All right, Edgar says that he thinks Matthew 18 will be good to read. Starting at verse 6. And then how far do you want me to read? Six to nine. Matthew 18, verse six through nine says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable hand or your filling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. But if, you're, uh, but if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. Yeah. Yeah, that, so there's, there's several things in, in that passage, right? And we can look at a lot of other passages too, but there's several things in that passage. Uh, one of them is, is uh, punishment, right? Hell is a, is a consequence for, again, things that have happened in, in this life. Um, another thing is it, it points out how, how bad this is. Um, it it uh, highlights the eternal nature of it, right? Um, it, it's, if it would be better to cut your arm off or cut your foot off if it causes you to sin, then uh, that highlights how bad hell is, how bad the punishment for sin is, um, because those things are bad. Cutting your own hand off is really bad. Cutting your own foot off is really bad. Uh, but if that's better than, than what hell would be, then that highlights how bad hell is, right? It also, it also highlights that, uh, that our actions have, and, and the way we live life here 
um, have consequences for us in the future, consequences for us, whether we're in the kingdom or out of the kingdom, whether we're punished or rewarded. Uh, but even that first part that Edgar had us read, verse 6, it talked about person who's causing stumbling blocks to children and, and even to, to others. Um, our actions here can have consequences on others. And we should, yeah, we should, that should affect how we live and, yeah. Yep, Cedric. Yeah, so, so I think Cedric's question, if you didn't, if you didn't hear, was the, about the timing of, of, of punishment, the timing of these consequences. Um, if someone dies today, do they immediately go to heaven or hell? Or are they in some kind of holding cell or something like that until, um, until Jesus comes back? Um, one thing I would say about that is the Bible's not totally 100% clear about that. Right? We do know that there will be a final judgment when Jesus comes back. That's clear. Um, what happens between now and then is not as clear. But we do have that passage on the cross where um, Jesus tells the one thief on the cross, you'll be with me in paradise today. Right? And so it doesn't seem like he's going somewhere uh, to wait for Jesus to come back, but he's going to be in paradise with Jesus today. And so if we, if we think of hell as kind of a parallel of that, it, then it seems like the judgment is, there is some type of judgment that's immediate. Um, even if there's a fuller judgment or more public judgment or, or have want to think about that that's coming when Jesus comes back. Cody? Yeah, I, th I think the Bible says that, that everyone will be resurrected to judgment at the end when Jesus comes back. Yeah, yeah. So I think there'll be a, a f some type of physical nature to it. Yeah. Which again highlights the, I'm about of it, how bad it is, right? Next week we're going to talk some about the ideas of like fire and brimstone and worms and are those are those descriptions of hell literal or are those descriptions of hell metaphorical about what's going to be there? Um, but if those descriptions are physical or are are literal, then that will be connected to the physical part, right? Because fire burns physical things. Worms eat physical things. Ms. Jetty? Yeah. Ms. Jetty said the Bible says that when we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so it seems to her it would be the same for someone who is uh, 
who is not a believer, they will be absent from the body and separated from the Lord. Or, yeah. Yeah, that's what Cody was asking about. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think there'll be a, a bodily resurrection for, for, for all people, just like Jesus' body came back to life. Um, there, there'll, be a, there'll be a point in the future when Jesus comes back when um, everyone will, will be resurrected, some to eternal life and some to eternal punishment. Yeah. Matt? Matthew 10, 28. Pastor Matt says, um, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Yeah, and so it seems like the, the soul and body are, are both punished in hell. Yeah, but for sure the Bible talks about an, a bodily, physical resurrection at the, at, the, at the judgment at the end of time. Yeah, Cedric. Yeah, so Cedric's, again, just trying to, trying to kind of clarify some of that stuff. So the Bible is very clear that, uh, that when Jesus comes back, there'll be a, a bodily resurrection and there'll be a final judgment at that point, right? Um, the Bible's not as clear about what happens in the intermediate time, like between now and when Jesus comes back. But it seems like because the body, when, we, when, when someone dies, their physical body is buried in the ground or is cremated or, or whatever, whatever we do to, to the physical body, um, and that, that physical body is not resurrected until Jesus comes back. So in the intermediate time, it seems like uh, the, the soul and the body are separated. And so Jesus said that to, the, to the thief on the cross, you'll be with me today in paradise. And so that, that makes me think that his soul went to, went to be with Jesus that, that very day, um, still t- awaiting the, the resurrection, the final judgment, and the final um, reward. But, but there, he, the, the soul is there in heaven with Jesus today, and so then the parallel of that would be that, uh, the same thing about punishment, that the, the soul of unbelievers uh, is, is even being punished right now, but, but awaiting a final judgment and a final punishment. Yeah, I think so. Any other questions? All right, well, if you think of more questions or if you're just kind of too timid to ask them out loud today, then you can write those down, give them, you can email them to me or one of the other pastors. You can write them down on a piece of paper and give them to me or one of the other pastors, and we'll be glad to answer those um, anonymously on that, on that last day, the 28th, I believe, if, if you're kind of too shy to speak up in front of people. Miss Jetty had her hand up. Yeah, that yeah that that uh, that that yeah that story about the about Lazarus and the rich man in, in Luke, um, yeah. So so, but it, but it just could look up. It doesn't say Lazarus was in hell. I don't think it, I don't think it uses the word hell there. But it, but it does say he's being punished, and so we can we can uh, you know extrapolate that as being being hell or being some kind of punishment. 
Um, and he is able to see Abraham um, and, and even able to, to see Lazarus and they're able to see him. So is that what it's going to be like in the, in, for eternity? Um, again, that, it, it's kind of it's hard to make a hard and fast, this is exactly how it's going to be based on that one passage. Um, because, again, there's the question of, are all of those details in that story um, historical events that, that really happened? Or is that a story that Jesus is, is telling, um, is telling you know, to, to make a point? Just like I told that story about what happened when I was a kid with the gun, that was a historical real event that really happened, right? But, but sometimes when I'm, when I'm preaching, you might, you might make up a, a parable or make up a story um, you know, involving fictional characters, right? And sometimes Jesus does that in his preaching uh, to prove a point. Uh, that's what the parables are. There's, there's stories that are, that are told to prove a point. Um, and so that's the whole question about that, that, that passage in Luke. Is that story with, with Lazarus and the rich man and Abraham, is that, a, is that like a historical event that Jesus is describing what happens when we die? Or is that a parable that Jesus is telling to prove a, a bigger point in that, in that context? Um, so that, that kind of raises more questions. Can, can people in hell see people in heaven? Can people in heaven see people in hell? Can they talk to each other? Because they were not just seeing each other, but they were talking to each other, you know? Edgar? Yeah? On, on the cross, ridiculing him, there were two thieves on one on each side, and, and the one was making fun of Jesus and ridiculing him and uh, challenging him. If you really are God, then come down off the cross, th- those kind of things. Um, and the other thief was not doing that, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Yep. And Edgar says, not tomorrow, not the next day, but today you'll be with me in paradise. Yep. Erica, Dr. Nygaard? Good question. Thanks for asking that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Erica is saying in, in the Apostles' Creed, um, there's a line that says he just, it's talking about Jesus, the section on Jesus. Uh, he was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. Uh, uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, buried, descended into hell, rose again on the third day, right? Um, and so, uh, so the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus descended into hell when he died. Um, sometimes when, when churches recite this, the Apostles' Creed together, they take that line out and, and don't say that. Um, and in some churches they do. There's a whole literature kind of scholarly, scholarly like section of study on was that original? Was that not original? When was it added? How did the Apostles' Creed even come about? And all that kind of stuff. It's really boring to read, if, but if you're interested in it, uh, you message in for that. Um, but, but all that, as far as I know, all of that is based on one passage in, uh, in Peter, in Peter's letter. And it, and it doesn't say that Jesus 
went to hell, it says that he preached to the souls who were in prison. And so the whole question is, what does that mean? Who are the souls that are in, that are in prison? And, and what does it mean that Jesus preached to them? Um, and I remember back, uh, is, that in, is that in 1 Peter or 2 Peter? Does anybody remember? 2 Peter? Yeah, in 2 Peter. Um, and I remember back several, several years ago, we preached a, a Sunday night sermon series on 2 Peter. And Jason Fowler, who was a member of our church then, who was the chairman of our deacons for a long time, um, he preached a sermon on that passage. Uh, and it was really, really good. I'm sure it's probably online still. You could probably look it up um, under, under 2 Peter. You could probably look it up under his name, Jason Fowler, F-O-W-L-E-R. Um, and he, he preached a really good sermon about that. Um, and he said that that refers, that that's talking about Jesus's resurrection. Not that he physically went to hell and, you know, got up on a, on a, at a podium in front of all the people that were in hell and the demons and preached a sermon to them, but that his resurrection uh, was, was preaching to them. His resurrection proved that all the things of the prophets, all the things that, uh, that he had been saying were true and that that resurrection was. Um, but he explained that a lot better in, in, in the you know, 30, 40 minutes he had than I did in the last two minutes. Uh, but you may want to look that up online. It was really good. Anything else? Any other questions? All right, so again, if you're, if you're kind of shy or if you even just think of questions later that you wish you had asked, uh, feel free to email those to me or one of the other pastors. Feel free to write them on a piece of paper um, to us if you want to be anonymous, and we'll ask those questions uh, in our panel discussion on the 28th. All right, let's pray and we'll be finished tonight. Father God, we thank you so much that your word is true. God, we thank you that, uh, that you are good. And God, we thank you that you were holy and righteous and just. And God, we thank you that you have made a way through your son Jesus, through the gospel of your son Jesus, that we can meet that same standard of holiness and righteousness. And God, again, not because not because we've done something ourselves to earn it, not because we've measured up to that standard ourselves, because we know we haven't. But Jesus, our Savior, your Son, our King, came, lived a perfect life, was punished for our sins, died, was, went through destruction and death because of our sins, was separated from you, banished from, from your presence, from your fellowship with you because of our sins, and yet, God, he rose again three days later, conquering death, conquering the grave, Father, fully, uh, completely, fully fulfilling our punishment, our destruction, our banishment. And so now we can be invited into the kingdom, not because of our own words, but because of what he has done for us. God, we thank you for that. God, we pray that you would help us to be believing in that, trusting in that, holding fast to that. And God, even as we've been talking about hell and what awaits those who are not trusting in him, God, might that make us more vigilant to share that good news with those around us that, uh, that, we don't, that, that don't know it or not trusting it. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.